Welcome to the Financial Fun Podcast with your host, Tammy Johnston. This is where Tammy talks with business owner parents and grandparents about the interesting and important subject of money. We promise this to be an interesting and open discussion, as that's how we learn best. And now, here's your host, author of the Financial Foundations. Financial Foundations is a series of books to teach kids about money, goal setting, and living a balanced life. Find out more at financialfund.ca. Here's Tammy Johnston. First things first, I would like to thank all of my listeners that have subscribed and reviewed my podcast and invite you to subscribe and review if you haven't yet. I appreciate you helping us to get the word out and making financial literacy a safe and welcoming subject for kids and adults. Second, please check out my podcast website, financialfund.ca, where you will be able to access past shows, find out more about me and our guests, as well as purchase the beautifully illustrated Financial Foundations books that teach kids about money in a fun, healthy, and holistic way. Hello once again, and thank you for joining us for the Financial Fund Podcast. We have an extra special treat today because we have a business owner couple. I'd like to welcome Ed and Lucy Padgett. Thank you for joining us, Ed and Lucy. Thanks for having us. Hi, Tammy. So would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about what your business is? Yeah, we, um, for the past nine years in Calgary, we've had an osteopathic clinic where we help people recover from injuries. You know, the kind of people who, let's say they go skiing each year and they have a knee problem that bugs them. It, it keeps coming back each year. And then we help them fix that so it doesn't come back. And then recently, um, this year in June, we opened a natural movement fitness center, which is really looking more long term. Okay, once we've got people better from injuries, let's change their movement patterns so those annoying injuries don't keep coming back. So yeah, we've been doing that for the last nine years, the two of us, and we have a team of other practitioners and coaches who also work for us. So for a lot, a lot of people who don't know what an osteopath is, what is an osteopath? Well, I'll answer that one. An osteopath is a, is a professional that uses their hands to help a person recover from injury or illness. So um, some people uh, liken us to physiotherapy and chiropractic, but it's really a blend of physiotherapy, massage, and chiropractic. And we use any technique that we can to help a person recover. I know that you guys do awesome work. I've come to see you. I've sent my husband to see you. I send lots of clients come and see you. I always go say, go see the hands of God. Like, they are amazing. <laughs> they will help you. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And, and what is your family situation, Ed and Lucy? We have two kids. Uh, Nina is six. She's in grade one. And uh, we've got a little boy, Jago, who's um, nearly four, and he's just in preschool. And we've got a dog, and we live out out of town near Bragg Creek. And um, love living out of town, even though our, our clinic is in town. So we commute in um, and try and work from home one or two days uh, a week. And all the rest of our family are actually back in the UK, although my sister does live here as well, which you, know, you can tell by our accents that we're not, we're not true Calgarians yet. <laughs> you, are, you are totally, completely true Calgarians. Very few people are natives here, if you hadn't noticed. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so it is, it is all wonderful and good. So you guys grew up in England and all that. What are some of the things that you noticed were different around the subjects of money from when you moved over here? I think here people talk, uh, especially our clients, they talk a lot more about their jobs than they do in the UK. In the UK, it's kind of considered 
impolite to ask uh, what someone does for a living, whereas here it seems to be the second or third question that you can, you know, quite you can ask. And uh, especially nowadays with the um, the slight the financial downturn, my clients are, w- are way more kind of uh, expressive around money and their fi- their financial situation. Whereas in the UK, even if a person's unemployed or made redundant, they probably wouldn't tell you that. Oh, very interesting. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> like, cult- the culture is so complicated in England because there's like, you know, the history of the various different class systems, which is so much more entrenched than here. So for me, my 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 take on things is a bit different because I moved to Calgary when I was uh, 13. Ooh. And so what I really noticed, which is kind of in answer to your question, is that like the I remember like one of the the first week we moved here the the postman came to the door and um I answered the door and his accent was the same as anyone else's accent but in the UK if someone has let's say a kind of more blue collar job their accent will reflect the type of job that they have and I just remember being taken back by this guy who was who was doing this job and I was like oh wow I like he sounds the same as everyone else here there's just not that discrepancy. And there's also, you know, now we've got a lot of friends whose jobs back in the UK would be kind of considered like, like not very, um, that you haven't achieved much in life. And here it kind of doesn't matter. It, do- it doesn't mean that. And so there's just very different value system around what you do, how much money you have, um, how you talk about money. Very, very different. So, so do you think that maybe North Americans or, well, Canadians, try to establish where they fall in the hierarchy by talking about their jobs and, 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 and the money they make and, and all the materialism? That's possible. I think maybe slightly more than the UK. There's there's a, a phrase that, um, that I recently read, and it was saying that in the UK, you can be, uh, you know, a tramp, a vagabond, a bum, but you can still be upper class. Because of your upbringing and your accent and your worldview, but you can live on the streets. Whereas here, I think that it's it, money does play a different a different role than it does in the UK to do with um, if there is a social pecking order. It's more around um, money here, I think. Maybe yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're answering that correctly. <laughs> like you know, maybe if you asked us in a few days, we might answer differently. Yeah. But I do think I do think um, that. It's more entrepreneurial here and it's easier to get ahead. It's a lot easier to get ahead here and it's a lot easier to make connections that the type of connections that you can then leverage to, to further yourself, to further the person you're making connections with where I think just population density perhaps in the UK, it's harder to do that. Oh, very interesting. I think I can add to that a little bit as well. what I've noticed here is there's a real, especially in Western Canada, there's a real can-do attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been very much supportive, like people like yourself, and very supportive in setting up our business mm-hmm. and doing things that no one has done before. We were the first, pretty much the first osteopaths in um, Alberta and the first ones to start an association. And when we mentioned that to people in the UK, our colleagues there, they said, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, there must be some law against that or some rule against it. And and it's very interesting. If you try and do something new in the UK, that people think it's already been done and there's a, there's a rule against it. But if you do something new in Canada, people are quite supportive. Yeah, we I, that is definitely something that I have, have noticed 
um, just in my time in Calgary, because I'm not a native either. I'm actually from a small community north of Edmonton, and Calgary is extremely entrepreneurial. It's like, okay, you know what? Let's just try it. And people are, most people are very, very supportive and will help you figure that out if you're putting yourself around the right people and, and doing the networking. And if you're not going out, it's just for me. If you're going out, okay, how can we help each other? It's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So thinking back to when you were when you were kids and stuff, when did you first start realizing and noticing like the subject of money? I feel like I noticed it quite early. My parents got divorced when I was about three and I really noticed such a big difference between my mother and my father and how they were with money. So I lived most of the time, my sister and I lived with my mom, and she was always very, very careful with money, mm-hmm. and um, there wasn't a lot extra. So if we got a gift, like if we got, um, or if we wanted something, like uh, a book, or I needed a new pair of shoes, we would wait until it was like Christmas or birthday. So everything held a lot more a lot more value um, in that in that sense of waiting for things and then with my dad he just was freer around money so my mom would worry about money she would talk about it there was a real sense of like oh we have to be careful and not spend too much and with my dad let's say we went grocery shopping at the weekend he would buy something he would buy things like smoked salmon which were kind of a luxury item that my mom it would be like a real treat to have that and my dad would just like buy smoked salmon and avocados which was like (laughs) wow that's kind of that's kind of fancy so yeah it's quite early for me very very different between parents for me um i think my my father died when i was 12 and it was after that uh so before that he was obviously the breadwinner and then after that, he set some money aside for my education. And um, he wanted me to go to a private school. But we couldn't afford the whole private school if the tuition fees increased every year, which is what they generally do. Yeah. So I remember my mum sitting down with uh, the headmaster and the, and the bursar of the school. And we decided to pay the whole tuition up front, mm. everything. But the proviso was I could not get expelled or get in trouble basically at the school because I'd lose the money for month you know my family would lose the money so my mum sat me down and said right this is very important and that was a big lesson for me around you know my father earning that money saving it putting it aside and then it became my responsibility not to lose it yeah but you broke every rule in the school that's amazing <laughs> right yeah, I didn't get caught <laughs> yeah the big thing is did you get caught <laughs> I didn't get caught oh my god he kept a car at school which he wasn't allowed yeah. <laughs> There's 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 all sorts of things that uh, we 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 did as kids, and sometimes we got away with it. And sometimes our parents or our, the adults around us let us get away. That's it. I think I think they knew. I think the school knew a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, your kids are your kids are are getting into the wonderful fun question 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 stage. What are some of the questions that your kids are now asking or comments that they're making around the subject? Yeah, the money money thing is the younger one, Jago, he's four. He hasn't kind of cottoned on to it or hasn't got a concept of it yet. But the older one, the six-year-old has because she wants things. And so she's saying, can I have this and can I have that? And then when we say, well, you know, if you do some chores or something, then you'll, you, we can give you some pocket money. And then that pocket money can go towards the thing you want to buy. 
that it's interesting. She's like, well, why don't I just open your wallet, daddy? Or, you know, yeah. why don't you just get it? And then we explain to her the kind of the cycle. Well, you know, it comes from work and then the work goes into the bank account, the bank account and so on. And so she she's getting the idea. But just recently we gave her a nice lesson, which was she wanted some some toys or something for her well, on her dolls. And so we asked her to separate out all the recycling so that we can um, get some money for bringing back the bottles and the cartons, which she did. And then we drove her to the recycling place and helped, she helped sort it all out. And then she got the money and then she could buy it. And we gave her the choices whether she could uh, save that money and maybe we'll give her a little bit more or spend that money. And she chose to spend it, which is fine. She wanted something. But that was a good lesson for her, we thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um... The other day I was in Superstore with her and she really wanted um, a Monster High doll. And so she she has like a wallet full of money, but it's full of coins. And the coins are from like the other currencies. So there's Filipino money in there. There's some, there's some Spanish like there's that. And there's like a whole bunch of like pre-Euro money in there as well. So. But she doesn't have, she just thinks that's money. And so she's like, mommy, I will pay you back for this. And she, I ended up getting her this doll and she twisted my arm. And then we got home. I was like, okay, well, you know, let, let, let's see what you've got. And she didn't have any, <laughs> any money she could actually give me, but she didn't have a sense of that. She didn't have a sense of like the different, the different currencies. So that's kind of new and different. Well, that's a wonderful opportunity because yes, it's like, how, how do you explain the difference? between like even just the difference between Canadian money and American money. Yeah, it looks different, but the, just the fluctuations in, in what it's worth. I remember going down to Vegas with my husband, I think it was like 2010 when our dollar was like trading at a dollar 10. And now if you go down, our dollar is trading at like 72 cents. So how can there be such wild fluctuations, let alone, well, these are all quarters, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but also the sense of value around money. Like, you know, because my mom was quite careful around money, but then when we moved to Canada, my stepdad was a lot, like, fairly wealthy. And so suddenly, age 13, having always had to be very careful, suddenly we could have stuff and I didn't have to wait any longer for, let's say, you know, a pair of skis or, you know, quite sort of sizable items. I just was able to to have them right away. But my mom always retained this kind of fear around like spending, around spending stuff. So she was really a stop start money spender and always quite thrifty. But there was always a sense of like kind of panic. It's like, oh, can we afford this? I don't know. Maybe we should wait for it. And so it's interesting now having kids. It's like, well, God, what is a, a healthier way to have around money to teach them? So like being in the store with Nina thinking, God, do I just give her the doll? Do I? Do I explain that there's money associated with that? Do I make her wait? And so all these questions that I don't have the answers to because of how I was brought up and kind of the changing attitudes around money and now are now coming up for us with our kids that I'm trying to figure out. That's common for so many people, whether or not money was actually ever tight or different things, but just having different parents and different ways of looking at them or if you've ever been through financial hardships or any of that stuff um like the guy who was uh the story of the pursuit of happiness movie was based on and Mm -hmm. he was homeless with his son for over a year and and now he's worth millions and he says i still have some of those holdbacks 
from when we were homeless and like we were so so destitute and he says I'm, I'm i'm worth millions and i've been worth millions for years but i still have some of those things he says i can't let a i cannot let a perfectly good bag go because that could be used <laughs> to carry all my belongings <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but part of it is just learning to have have the conversations and go i don't know everything because nobody does so going back with, 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 with the family stuff, were you noticing anything like, do you guys have nieces and nephews and? Yeah, we do. We have, uh, on, on my side, there's definitely, um, how many? Six, six and seven. Oh, I'm not sure. Something like that. But there's, uh, there's definitely a difference we've noticed between the, um, single, uh, the only child and the brothers and sisters. And I think the only childs are, um, that I've seen in my family are a bit more demanding mm -hmm. because the parents, uh, well, one of my sisters, I was chatting to her about this and she said, well, when we were growing up, when my father died, we didn't, we couldn't have what we wanted. And she remember it caused her a lot of angst. So with her daughter, it's just the two of them. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, why should I let her wait? So she indulges and spoils her daughter. <laughs> and then that's quite obvious when we go to the UK and we see that. Whereas the others, um, with two kids, they don't seem to do that as much because when you spoil one, you got to spoil the other. Yep. And so we do notice a difference in uh, the upbringing just in my family. I can totally get that. There, there's definitely pros because I only have the one. But yeah, it's it's so easy to spoil if you don't keep yourself under control with that because they're just mm -hmm. they don't have to compete for your time. They don't have to compete for their toys. They don't have to compete for anything. So we have to be, as, as parents of only children, so much more aware of that so that we don't fall into the easy trap. Yeah. And I think there's some lessons around actually separating out the concept of value from money. Because obviously money is just stuff that enables you to get stuff. And mm -hmm. value is much more laden with... Uh, much more charged, much more full of kind of um, a sense of right and wrong, morals, um, good, bad, whereas money is just money. So I think maybe there's some some big lessons around around that mental shift, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. So what are some of the things that you guys are trying to do? Like you said, because your kids are still quite young, but they're starting to hit that very cognitive stage where they're learning and, and able to ask better questions. How, how are you guys trying to, because that's a big one, because, yeah, not everything can be bought with money, and there's lots of things that have incredible value without money, but then there's lots of times where they come together. How are you guys trying to tackle that? Yeah, that's a good question. We, being in the, in the health world, um, nutrition is a part of, um, a big part of our, our life, and we talk with our children a lot about what they're eating and why they're eating it. And we try and buy good, healthy food that's organic. And we shop from the farms quite a lot from straight from farmers. And so when they don't eat their food and we spend a lot of money on the food, we don't like to waste it. And we tell them about the value of the food. Then there's associated to the cost of it as well. But the nutritional value versus the thing they want to eat, which would be the Cheerios or the cornflakes or the candy. And that has no nutritional value yet. It tastes better to them. And that, we find that's kind of a good lesson for them to, to get the concept of that. We, one of our, one of our kids, Jago, has a milk, 
um, allergy. Mm. And so he knows that if he drinks milk, he will be sick. But he still wants to drink hot chocolate with milk in it. And so we're, we're trying to get, get him this idea of, you know, it's sweet and it's, and it will make you sick. And he knows exactly what that feels like because he is physically sick. Um, but it doesn't stop him from wanting to drink it though. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's amazing how we, how we sometimes insist on doing the things that we know damn well are not going to be good for us. <laughs> Even as we're adults, we can, we can sometimes do that. But I love how you bring up the, the value around like food and stuff like that because we express so much of what we truly value by how we invest our time and our money and our choices. And, mm-hmm. and food, food is a, a huge one because you're talking about, well, how is it going to feed your body? How is it going to make you feel? What's the nutritional value? But one of the things that I'm working with my daughter and, and teaching down the line is, okay, yes, you can get away for eating a little bit of junk food, but the more that you eat and, and the less that you're taking in like the good, healthy, high nutrient food, that's going to have very serious consequences as you get older and, and down the line because that just builds up and, how how are you choosing to take care of yourself and what are you valuing? I'd really like down the road in the next year, two years, three years, I'd like for us to um, get a little bit more land than we have and so that we can get chickens. And I would love our kids to have their own little businesses, you know, like maybe one of them gets interested in selling the, the eggs if we have surplus eggs so that they they have an ability to have, you know, a little, a little mini business, micro business, mm-hmm. um, kind of early on. And the, the lessons or, or stories I've heard around that, there's a farmer, Joel Salatin, uh, down in the States who's quite famous. And he tells stories about how all of his kids have had their own businesses and he is just his hands off with it. He's like, okay, you know, I let them be a hundred percent in charge. If they make mistakes, they make mistakes because it has to be their own little business. And then, um, and another friend of mine in Calgary, her son he's he's probably about 10 i think he he goes around and he knocks on his neighbor's doors and gets some money for shoveling snow mm-hmm. and then he recycles all the bottles and stuff in their house and he's made enough money to uh, buy a really fancy bike for himself and then another client of mine her kid her two kids actually raised a cow and then sold the cow for beef mm-hmm. and they got the money for that. And I really like these early lessons of, mm-hmm. of children having their own little businesses and getting their own money. And I think, you know, part of the kind of allure of that is that I always really wanted my own money when I was little. Like I wanted my mom to give me like a weekly allowance so that I could budget, I could buy my own toothpaste. And she never let me have that. She was like, no, no, why? I don't, I, I no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I feel there's some really good lessons in that, so I'd like to do that for our kids. Buy your own toothpaste. I wanted to buy my own toothpaste. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just I wanted to buy my own toothpaste. All right, I remember that. <laughs> we have our own thing, and kids are such natural little entrepreneurs. Like they are the built-in salespeople because they're just they 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 they're, they're so charming and sweet, and they don't get deterred by the no, and they're mm-hmm. they're willing to learn. And it's yes, I I love that. I. One of the businesses I really like learning about was Kidco that was started by an 11 year old boy and his, his 13-year-old sister. And now it's a huge, gigantic international company. And it was literally started by two basically preteens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they did great. They actually started out, they live not far from a stable. And what they did is they offered to, uh, 
they asked for the job for cleaning out the uh, stables. And then what they did is they turned around and sold the manure and stuff to landscaping companies. That's great. That's, That's great. Yeah. yeah. And I like that, the cycle of things yeah. as well. Like if, if we do get chickens, it will be explained to the kids about their food and where their food comes from, the scraps, and then how that turns back into food. And, but you can make some money in there as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that sounds a little bit like the beginnings like Kidco. You know, they, they figured out there was a cycle behind it. Yeah. Oh, One of the other big, big lessons as adults we get to learn is, is, and having our own business is, is profit. Like profit is so full of negative connotations, but it's such an awesome thing because with profit, you get to do cool shit. You know, you get to, you get to reinvest it and do really great stuff with it. And that's something that, you know, the little early lessons of what money can buy you, what you can do with money. Well, how much cooler if we can actually, well, I suppose we'd have to step back, but if the kids have surplus money, you know, looking at concepts around reinvestment and growth and then, and leveraging as well, like that would be really, really exciting if we can, if we can bring that into our mm-hmm. kids early lessons because we didn't get those lessons until just this last 10 years there was never a profit for us no. until recently oh i'm sure they'll they will get the lesson and all that stuff because they're 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 open for learning and as i teach people all the time if you don't have profit you don't have a business yeah That's so true yeah yeah we find that in the health space so many times mm-hmm. where people look at what we're doing and they say well you know, you're obviously making a profit and they say that in a, in a bad way. And I, I said, well, what are you doing? They said, well, I'm just paying, paying myself. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm an honest, um, whatever therapist and I'm taking a little bit of money for my own living. But. And you're you know, broken and happy. <laughs> yeah. The years go by and nothing changes. And, you know, we've managed to make what was at one point, I think that we were told it was the biggest can, uh, clinic in Canada. Uh, osteopathic clinic and we've attached onto that our movement center and that all that's all because of profit yeah the natural movement center we've created is purely because we had profit over the last 10 years that we've now been able to reinvest to build this Mm -hmm. beautiful amazing awesome fitness center yeah and like i like how you said a lot of people think profit and all this we have a very conflicted society in the fact that we we all want like more things and we want to travel and we want the money and stuff but then when we talk about, okay, properly charging for what we do or making profit, then people are afraid and they pull back and then they wonder why they never get the things that they want or able to help more people and stuff because they're going, you have no money, you can't do anything. And mm-hmm. people really need to get to get over that. You guys are, and why do you guys have the profit? Because you are amazing at what you do and how you help the people. You have fairly and justly earned your profit. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. Why should you have any problem whatsoever making lots of profit? And that, that's the part that so many people don't get. Like you said, if you're doing a good business and you're helping people, you should be making lots of profit because then you're able to, like you said, open up the natural movement center where if you didn't have the profit, you couldn't do that. Exactly. And we can help more people and, and on and on. Exactly. Yeah. Well, to wrap up here, if you guys could have your kids learn three solid things about money, when they're when they're adults so that you guys feel that you've been successful as parents what are the three things you want your kids to learn Hmm. i would like them to be comfortable around money so that they don't have fear they've got kind of a rational mindset around the use of money the purpose of money and it's not attached and entrenched with 
emotionally charged um, sentiments. I would like, you know, going back to this profit piece, the last thing we discussed, I would love for them to have a sense of profit as a good thing and a sense of maybe of that connected to their life goals. What about for you, Ed? I think um, I would like them to, to know what they can do with their money. So, for example, if you put it in the bank account, it earns a little bit of interest. If you put it in mutual funds, a little bit more interest. But if you invest it into something that you're doing, you could turn one dollar into a hundred dollars, or a hundred dollars into you know, you know, infinite, but a thousand dollars. And so, just to have an idea for them, have an idea of how powerful it is when you get the money to work for you in the right ways. Oh, excellent lessons. So, thank you very much for joining us. This was an excellent conversation that I know will help many people. Thank you so much, Tammy. Have a wonderful day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Before we leave each other, I would ask all of you listening to please subscribe to and rate my podcast. A review would be most appreciated and feedback is always welcome. Whether it be a comment, future topic suggestions, and or questions you or your kids would like to have answered in the Ask Tammy column on the financialfund.ca website. Please feel free to check me out on Facebook at Financial Foundations Children's Books, on Twitter at Financial Fun, and Instagram at Financial.Fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Financial Fun Podcast. Join Tammy Johnston again next week. For more information, please visit FinancialFun.ca.